Hi, I'm Katie Humphrey and welcome to the Behind the Business podcast. Uh, Now today I've got a really exciting guest with me. Um, This woman is somebody that I met through our children's school. Um, I've known her for a number of years now and she is absolutely fascinating. Um, This is Nick Davis. She is a mum, wife, management consultant and a woman who is basically trying to manage the hell out of life. Welcome Nick. Hi Katie and thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I've been watching your journey with great interest and it is lovely to be able to share some of it with you. Thanks I'm really honoured and I love it when people say things like that so thank you. I am really, really honoured. So Nick, do you want to start by just telling everybody a little bit about who you are, what you do and what you're all about? Um, Well, I'll try, Katie. That is such a massive (laughs) question, really. Honestly, it's probably something I'll spend the rest of my life trying to work out. So uh, you've already said my name. So my name's Nick Davis. So so who am I and what am I all about? Um, I guess that's part of what I'm trying to work out. So The easy stuff is I'm a mum to three children. I'm a wife. I'm a homemaker because I do think that is a very real and tangible and important and valuable role that we shouldn't be embarrassed to admit that we do or that we choose to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm very blessed to have been able to do that for a few years. Um, I have had a career break for a few years and I have recently returned. So for most of my life, I've been a management consultant. Uh, working, gosh, in a variety of different roles, but basically delivering pretty pretty big change, I guess, pretty big change programs. And then I had a career about my kids and um, really missed intellectual stimulation. I think just, you know, doing and being and creating and helping. So started becoming, I think, more curious about life. I'd probably say a bit of a student of life, you know, reading and observing and learning about different ways of being and seeing and um and then I discovered a love of writing and I think over the years I've just um got more and more creative in terms of designing the home and more eclectic as you know Katie with my fashion (laughs) my quirky ideas because I'm really passionate about sustainable living and you know it's not just about treating ourselves and others with respect but it's also about treating where we live and you know our planet with respect and our things with respect and our time with respect um and the reason it's such a big question that you've asked me is because I'm kind of going through a process because I've come back into the workplace and I think I'm saying you know I'm 50 this year it's a big milestone so what do I want this next act to be like? You know, do I want it to be like the last act, which was quite, it's quite corporate which was, honestly, it was fantastic at times. And I don't, I don't regret any of it for a minute, but I don't know if that's what I want to go forward with. Um, so that's why it's such a big question, because it's something I'm trying mm-hmm. to work out. I think it's quite a big question anyway, isn't it? Like, who are you and what are you about? It, I mean, it just, especially if you're on a journey and you're finding out who you are, um I, I mean I know that you you're going through something very very similar and I'm I'm on a journey as you know is to kind of find out who I am um so you know that is such a big question actually <laughs> to be like oh so tell me who are you and what are you about yeah um, and that's, I think that's something that we're talking about today isn't it because I know when we were discussing what we wanted to talk about on our on our podcast um and we just said life and how all-encompassing it is um and that's something 
that I truly believe in. I know we were discussing this earlier uh, and as a, as a coach, I'm trained in whole person coaching, which is basically the belief. And this, one of my strong beliefs is that every part of your life is connected. So there is no, you know, separation, but almost between business and family and, and marriage and relationships and things like that. And it's one of the reasons why I don't particularly like the expression work-life balance. I know we mentioned that earlier because to me, they're not separate. Like work and life for me, it's it's all part of the same thing. And I know that's something that we were going to talk about a bit more and and your kind of opinion on that today as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, so I guess a good analogy is I kind of view myself um and I've, I think I observe with other people as well that there's, there's lots of different boxes in each of us and and we do live in a world and a society where there's just some some stuff we've got to tick because you know we've got to pay the bills and if we're going to pay the bills we probably want to to do it um in a way that actually really feeds our passion but if I'm really honest when I look around I see very few people actually earning uh, their living and finding a way to pay bills through things that actually really feed their passion the things that really feed their passion are generally stuff that go on as hobbies and outside of the nine-to-five job and one of the areas I'm really interested in is basically the future of work and you know how you know there's so much untapped potential in people it is absolutely painful and um and I believe that a lot of that is because we're not we're not really tapping into people's passions so it's very difficult to to get people engaged and committed and motivated when they are purely doing stuff to bring the salary in and I guess it's a bit like the Truman Show because it was only when I stepped I mean I was really blessed in a lot of ways is that I had the choice to step out of a corporate life I did have that choice because my my husband and I have always viewed ourselves as a team it's not about, um, you know, who earns what or whatever. It's just that there's, you know, X amount of money in the pot or there is required in the pot. And that is created by the two of us. But when you have three kids, you know, you've got more roles than just the one to earn the money and pay the bills. You know, you've got all of the other stuff that goes with that. And, and I was blessed that I got chance to step out of um, that corporate world and and see things differently because I think it can be a bit like the Truman show because when you're in there you can't always see another approach or another mm. another way and you know what I would say is that um I found all of these different boxes in myself that I didn't know existed and I think I just felt them as as kind of niggles or aches or frustrations or manifesting themselves in terms of anxiety um things that I couldn't necessarily really explain but I would feel and there was just a level of unhappiness and it's interesting because every period of my life where I look at things where I've really had a wobble you know where things have felt really quite difficult and challenging have probably been all of the times when things have got out of balance, when the different facets, the different parts of me haven't been fed. But the the paradox is, when you're not feeding them, you don't always know what they are. So you've got to have space. You have to give yourself space. And and actually, it's really interesting because I think this sounds really you know perverse. And it's, 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 it's not that I would wish this on anybody or on myself. 
But I did get postnatal depression after my third child. And when I look back now, it was a great opportunity. I mean, they, they always say, you know, it's all about perspective, don't they? Which mm. doesn't often sit that well when you're actually in the middle of a crisis, quite frankly, because you don't have the perspective because you're in the middle of the crisis. It's in retrospect. But looking back, because I did get postnatal depression, that's what forced me to step off the career ladder and to um, spend some time at home and it created space it created an awful lot of space for me and it brought in new things to my to my life around um you know writing and reading and observing and thinking a bit more deeply about how do I want my life to be do I even know myself do I even know what I like do I even know what I enjoy doing because I've been pretty one-dimensional up until now and and that you don't kind of go away for a two or three day retreat and come up with all those answers. I'm still trying to work them out now, 10 years later. But it did create the space for me to recognise that there were a lot of things about me that weren't fulfilled. And therefore that it, it wasn't that easy about just drawing a box and saying, that's what I do. There's my three minute elevator pitch. I don't have a three minute elevator pitch. I just, I just don't, and I may never have one. And that's okay. I have lots of different boxes different parts of me and they all need nurturing in their own way and the trick is how can I balance nurturing all of them and at the same time be able to operate within the world that we need to operate keep the show on the road from that kind of more transactional perspective i.e paying the bills etc but also nurture who I am at the same time and I think that's a really hard balance isn't it and I know it's something that a lot of people struggle with it's it's how do you find what's going to fulfill you and pay the bills at the same time because a lot of the time you like like you said you don't realize that you're not being fulfilled until you're older you know you're 20 or 30 or 40 or or whatever and by that time you've finished school you've gone to university or or not and you've got your job and you know you're, you're kind of in that cycle already so to then step back and be like hold on none of this is fulfilling me but I have my lifestyle where I need to earn X amount of money a month. It's, it is difficult, isn't it? And it is hard because if you are to start again and say, right, well, actually my passion is dog walking, then you have to start at the beginning of the ladder almost. And do you earn enough money at the beginning of that ladder to pay the bills and, you know, to fill those parts. So then I think that's where people then shy away from it. And then it becomes a hobby when actually is there a way that they can do it where it does become their job and they can still fill the pots, you know, is there a way that, that we can have everything, I suppose. Yeah. It's, it's funny because um, I think the answer is yes. I'd know because that's the answer to most things in life, isn't it? It's kind of, <laughs> yeah. There's a yes. I know bit there because you've just made me think about something there. I mean, I've always, I've always been a great believer in creating your own reality. And my friend has this wonderful saying. She always says it to me. We have to use what we have right here, right now. We have to work with what we have right here, right now. And I think sometimes we almost look too far ahead. So if I think back to the times where I've just used what I've got right here, right now, and I've basically won against the odds, it's all been around creating my own reality, but it's looking about what is the reason that I can do this, not the reason that I can't? So, for example, um, when I sat my uh, A-levels, um, sadly, I spent far too much time getting drunk, 
discovering boys, having a good time. <laughs> and then, you know, was really amazed at the end of it when, you know, I got really crappy grades, which meant, <laughs> no, Liverpool University weren't going to have me and I wasn't going to study law and I wasn't going to be this, you know, sexy lawyer, like, you know, LA Law was out at the time. You know, that's what <laughs> I was and, and the choices were either to reset my A-levels or to find another course, you know, at another university. And I remember sitting, you know, and I think it was just, I think it's instinctively been that thing. I remember sitting in my parents' front room on their phone with the, in those days, it was the um, OCAS book, and literally going, ringing every single university and clearing. And I got to tea, I got to tea before I got somebody that was prepared to give me a place on a, this new course that I'd never heard of. I had no idea what the content was. I just knew they were going to offer me a place. And if I took that place, I had a chance to get a degree. And that, um, you know, no matter what, I knew that whatever I wanted to do, I needed a degree for. And that was, it was that very short-term goal. So what was it that I had that I could use right here, right now? I've got that OCAS book, I've got a phone, and I've got a clearing process. And, and the other one I did was um, when I left, so I worked for a large corporate for many, you know, large uh, corporates for many, many years. And I decided to leave when, um, actually when I met my husband, I decided to leave because um, one, we both worked for the same firm, which, um, you know, in a lot of ways was great, but in other ways it wasn't because we're management consultants, we could have been sent anywhere. So we could have been sent to the opposite ends of the earth for all we know. I mean, that's a bit extreme, but say opposite ends <laughs> of the country. And I, I kind of got to the point, you know, I was in my mid-30s and I really wanted some autonomy and control about the type of consulting I did. And I actually really wanted to do much more work with the not-for-profit sector. Um, so I left and I thought, oh, I'll set up, I'll set up my own consultancy. It can't be that difficult, can it? <laughs> you know, um, yeah, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure it'll be fine. Maybe, maybe it was part of that ignorance, ignorance that made it so plausible to me, actually. Maybe it's because I didn't truly understand the ins and outs. But again, what I did was actually rang. Um, it was Help the Aged in those days. It's Age UK now. And I rang them and I said, uh, I'm a management consultant and I'd like to volunteer. Because I didn't have any experience of working in the not-for-profit sector because I'd either been public or private sector. I said, I would like to volunteer. I'm a management consultant. Do you have some projects I can do? And you know what? They did. They did have some projects I could do. And I started doing those projects. And then I had experience in the not-for-profit sector. And yes, oh. I did live on fresh air and actually a combination of interest-free credit cards for a few months whilst I got the show off the, on, off the road. And I think there is, um, you know, people say, you know, what makes a successful business? You know, what makes it this? What makes it that? You know, blood, sweat and tears and, you know, seat of your pants a lot of the time. So, you know, nearing the credit card limit, thinking, oh, my God, if I don't sell some work soon, I'm ready for the high jump. Um, I'm going to have to do something. And I do think if it's right to jump, you know, the universe will always catch you. And, and it literally, my parachute opened just before I hit the ground. And um, I actually met my first client, my first fee earning paying client on this random course I went to uh, on public speaking. Oh, wow. You know, all, all the advent at breakfast clubs and business networking, all the rest of it. And it was something as random as that. And so, you know, I think, you know, there are always, there are always compromises to be made. But ultimately, I think there is, there is something in us, if we really listen to our instinct 
and really listen to what we know in ourselves to be true for us, which is often really, really difficult to explain to people. So I, I knew, and, and sometimes even now I know, there's some conversations I won't have because people just won't get it. And people just wouldn't have got why I walked away from this massively successful job, very, very well paid, to basically live on fresh air on a hope and a prayer of starting a new business. It's just not rational. <laughs> you know, it, it wouldn't have been a rational decision in a lot of people's eyes, but somehow instinctively, I just knew it was the right thing to do for me. Um, but, you know, here we are, Katie, 10 years later, and I am still, I am still trying to find a way to balance it all. And I, I don't think I have found the answer yet, but I think I am much more aware of when I am not living the answer and that in itself is progress do you think there actually is an answer though you know this and this is something that I've been thinking about an awful lot and it it stemmed from the work-life balance conversation I had with somebody else a long time ago um, and about how I don't think it's a balance I think it's a blend but then my kind of train of thought I ended up when I was thinking about it and I was just like, is there ever even a balance? Is there a blend? You know, is there a final outcome? Because life changes so frequently, you know, every day something happens, every day something changes. It's so fluid that is there, is there, you know, when you think about where you're going and what you want to get to, how does that look? And is that actually feasible? Because, everything is so fluid does that make sense I feel like that's a little bit of a brain dump (laughs) no not at all I I think that makes sense because because I think it's this again it's life god life is just one massive paradox isn't it Mm. so it's a bit like um I think it it really comes back to how you define balance so my classic line whenever we've been talking to organizations when they say oh you know we want this new organizational structure you know so we can empower and trust people and all of this thing and it'd be like well yes we we do need a structure but the the irony is that structure needs to be flexible enough that um people do have their own space and their own autonomy and feel trusted Uh, and it needs to be able to flex to be able to accommodate different people's passions, different people's ways of doing things, different people's need for levels of support, uh, feedback and so forth. But it also needs to be strong enough to hold you and to ground you. And the best way I can describe it is if you are in a sailing ship in the middle of a storm, right? The thing that you need to know is where you're going. And no matter how big those waves are and how hard those waves come at you, you still have your bearings. Mm. And that's the best way I can describe, I guess, what balance means to me. And one of the ways I think I express that is, is I think a lot of people will probably refer to them more as values, but, you know, balance is about saying, it's the things that are really important to me is to have um, time, the time that I want to be a nurturing maternal uh, figure in my family and for the children to know how important they are and that they are a key priority. It's also important for me to have some of my own space and some of my own time to have my creativity thinking space, um, to be able to keep fit, just to, just to be with myself. 
Um, uh, it, it's also important for me um, to have intellectual stimulation. If I'm not stimulated intellectually, um, I go like, I get really brain dead. I actually get quite down, start feeling a bit meaningless, of no value in this world and so forth. Um, uh, another part is creativity. It's really important to me. To, if I don't write for a few days, you know, I feel like I'm festering. I think writing for me is kind of a way of letting things flow. I mean, people talk about journaling. There's lots of different ways people allow things. I think mine is probably through writing. And it's the same with creativity of uh, creating stuff. So, you know, I need space to be able to create and make stuff as well. And, and all of these things are really important to me. Now, they might all manifest themselves in slightly different ways. Mm. And that's where the flexibility is. So the flexibility is, well, I need intellectual stimulation, but what have I got right here, right now to be able to create that? And it might not be going off and doing the best paid, sparkly, most amazing job in the world. Because that, right, that might not be on my doorstep or able to work around my family commitments. It might be having a podcast and a discussion with Katie. <laughs> it might be... Um, going on a, a course to learn something it's it might be doing some particular reading or research on a subject it might be writing um you know a, a knowledge p a knowledge paper on a particular piece of work that i really enjoyed and i think do you know what i've got some um i've got some cool stuff there for the business world that i might want to share you know i think they're just examples so so no it's not easy but i think maybe it's something because it's kind of intentions it's kind of well can we have some kind of foundational building blocks that you know you can hang on to no matter what you can hang on to but you might just have to use what you've got right here right now to create it and it might not always be in the way that you think and of course the big thing that always sits around all of it is ah but we've got bills to pay ah there's so much money that needs to come in um and I, I don't have a silver bullet for this. I don't have the million dollar answer. What, what I can say is every time, so two, two things. One is um, walking away from my corporate job. Um, we took more than a half a hit on our income. Now it's a first world problem. You know, my husband and I are management consultants. You, you know, it's a first world problem. It was, we, we still had a good income coming in, but you live to, you live to what you have, right? Yeah, you do, yeah. Um, and, and I discovered that actually um, it's just incredible how innovative and entrepreneurial you can be. And that's really when I started my love of kind of sustainable living and recycling and upcycling and all of that. So that's the first thing. Uh, and the second thing is when I have genuinely needed to earn money, um, I guess because my dad always used to say this to me, as long as you've got a trade, he used to say, as long as you've got a trade, You'll always be able to earn money. It's really <laughs> interesting because I would say that, you know, my consultancy experience is my trade. It's a trade. And whenever I've really needed um, to pay some bills or to earn some money for whatever reason, uh, you know, the beautiful thing about consulting is you can pick up project work. Mm. And, and somehow or other, and I don't know why, but I'm sure the universe puts the right thing in, in the way. And I've gone off and I've done smaller pieces of work uh, that have given me perhaps not what I wanted, but they've given me what I've needed. Mm. And I've had a thing that we need. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that works into the flex that we were talking about earlier, where so you're not, it's not like you're 
giving up and going back to the full-time employment because it's not working out and you need to pay the bills so you know kind of give up on the dream and and go back but you are doing the management consulting but kind of on your terms to you know it's it's more flexible you're doing it on your terms to fill your pot so that you can put more effort and more of your yourself into your things that you're passionate about you crave creativity parenting and things like that so I suppose yeah and it kind of works both ways because what I found is now um when I consult I I probably um I probably I probably um I would like to think I take more back into the consulting world because you know a lot of it is again uh, it's the same friend actually that has this saying um you know we, we can create meaning. We can create meaning out of the smallest things. You know, so for example, when I'm stuck with a very large ironing pile, which no, I don't particularly look forward to, you know, I will actually cut it down and set myself stretch targets. Right, after that pile um, in that many minutes, blah, blah, blah. You know, and it's kind of, it creates a meaning because actually I'm <laughs> creating some kind of achievement through, um, it's so funny because my husband will walk in and he'll go, what are you doing? I'm going, don't stop me. I've got to get this done by. And he's going, why? So, because I've set myself that target. You know, <laughs> but um, I, yeah, what I found is that when I've gone back into to consulting, because some of the time when I've had to create the intellectual stimulation outside of my professional life, it's meant that I've, I've read much more widely and I've investigated things and I've researched different things. And I think I've widened my perspective. And tell you what, this is a lifelong journey. You know, it's never, I'm never going to be at the end of it. But then when I go back, I'm a different consultant. You know, I'm taking a different set of skills. And yeah, I'm still doing my bread and butter stuff. But I'm doing this other stuff as well because it's interested me. So I naturally take it with me. And that actually then changes the role. And the last role I did, um, yes, I was doing my core bread and butter stuff. But I did a lot more, um, I think a lot more around um, trying to really understand where people were coming from and therefore I found myself doing a lot more facilitation of conflict and cultural stuff and so forth which I really enjoy I really enjoy all that stuff and I perhaps wouldn't have done that before because it it perhaps just wouldn't have been something that was in my mind so it's really a two-way street and of course being a mum to three children yeah yeah probably run the UN I guess (laughs) (laughs) you know there's a certain there's a certain you know um a whole stack of new skills that you find you have that you didn't have before <laughs> I think conflict resolution is definitely one of them yeah it's, it's now you know with all this homeschooling like I find myself like oh why do you walk so fast and I can't admit to them why I walk so fast it's so I can't hear them arguing because then I can get done <laughs> anybody listening don't worry my kids are not toddlers I'm not leaving toddlers on their own Two of them are <laughs> and the third one's nearly a teenager and the only reason I'm out mate on the walk with them is because if not I suspect my boys would go to the end of the road sit down for half an hour and then come back <gasps> don't tell them I said that though obviously I need to be more trust-based <laughs> I don't know but they probably would <laughs> oh bless them but yeah I just I'm, I'm not even going to start with homeschooling because I think that will end up down a um an angry rabbit hole <laughs> that we probably don't need we to go down I mean just on that note Katie I wonder whether actually we're calling it the wrong thing because I don't think any of us are homeschooling because um no. I, I'm not I'm not a professional teacher 
I'm not a professional teacher, so I've got no intention of homeschooling my, t- my kids. In actual fact, it would be their worst nightmare because they have told me quite bluntly that I am, I'm just the worst teacher ever. And they're right. It is not my skill set whatsoever. You know, I think what we are doing is, you know, keeping our children safe at home and doing the best as we can in difficult circumstances. That's it. Yeah, that is- no, I, I completely agree with you. Um, I'm definitely not schooling. Um, but but again I'm not a teacher and I have a business and uh, I'm not a teacher and I don't I don't have the patience for it if I'm being quite honest it's not that I don't have the patience I haven't actually got some of the knowledge for some of the stuff I mean my eldest son's in year 10 I couldn't do quadratic equations the first time around never mind about geometry I was terrible at it and I'm still terrible at it now in actual fact they've said to me please don't help because we get more wrong when you do oh my god <laughs> luckily their dad's a bit of a math boffin so i just outsource that bit but i don't you know i don't think we should be this is something else i get a in my bonnet about why do we have to try and pretend that we can do everything of course we can't i'm really crap at some things and that's part of self-acceptance yes i am crap at some things which is why i focus on the things that i'm better at you know yeah. because we're not all great at everything can it's okay to say that's that's not my forte you know what it's that classic when you go into interviews and they ask you that question what could you be better everybody dreads it and i'm like why do you dread it that's where you can really get to illustrate your personality why wouldn't somebody and if they don't really want to know you if they don't really want an honest answer then you're certainly not in the right place are you yeah no i completely agree i quite enjoy like what are your strengths and weaknesses i, I, yeah. I like those questions <laughs> Exactly. They're always a bit taken aback and go, oh, concentration span of a nap. That always makes them a little bit nervous. <laughs> but, you know, some real pluses because it means I can be really, really creative and innovative and a bit out there with stuff. Mm. It just means that you might need to have somebody who's a little bit better at the detail that works with me. Because the other thing is actually, you know, I don't want to do it all on my own. I love working in teams. I love working with people. I love that. Gosh, I love that rich tapestry of when you get, you know, all of these different people with different perspectives and different skills coming together and you're like an orchestra yeah you know and you can create something brilliant and you know when you're not competing with each other and when you're not threatened you know and you're not in the you know an environment where one of you has to be better it's zero sum came which is just so archaic it's it honestly it makes me cringe it's so archaic it's really um that that time has been and gone nobody enjoyed it when it was here you know, when you really allow people to um, operate as a team, because actually the point is that that's what they're there to do. They're there to work with each other. They're there to do the best, not be the best. You know, you don't have to, you know, tread on tread on somebody's head to get onto the net. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's, yeah, it's, it's just not nice. No. And I, I'm just going to interrupt really quickly to say to people listening that that noise is your lovely dog snoring. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Do you want, I didn't no, 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 no. Do, do not move. So, it's, it's the joys of being in lockdown. It just. That is um, Lord Horatio Nelson. I love is, the names of your dogs. Yeah, that's Lord Horatio Nelson, who is snoring. Um, Harry, my <laughs> son, has just taken him out for his walk. And actually, he's the only dog I know. He's a King Charles Cavalier. He doesn't actually like going for walks. He goes for walks because he gets treats. Oh, bless him. Uh, because um, it's part of the training that we have. We have a collie who we've been training. So we use treats to train them. 
So Horatio is the only dog in the world that spends most of his time on a walk sitting beautifully because he sits <laughs> beautifully, he thinks he gets a dog biscuit. It's like, no, no, you've got to walk in between Horatio. <laughs> Do you know, I just love the image of you walking the dog through the village shouting Horatio. <laughs> it just... It just always makes me smile. I just, I love them. I absolutely love your dog names and they're lovely dogs as well. Thank you. So yeah, yeah, that is my dog snoring. I'm sorry that everybody can hear that. No, no, don't apologise. I just thought I should probably note it because it, it was quite loud at one point. And I thought, oh, was it? <laughs> yeah. oh, gosh, you can tell I've become so accustomed to it, can't you? No, but you do. But one of the things I've always said about this podcast is that it is, it's a natural conversation. Um, I don't edit the conversations. So there are going to be, you know, we're all at home. There are going to be things. I have doorbells and air fresheners and children, and I have a dog that barks too. <laughs> well, that was the only thing I was panicking about when I was doing the podcast. I was, I'm, I was thinking, oh my God, if somebody comes to the door and the dogs all start barking at once, it's just chaos, isn't it? But anyway. <laughs> They haven't so far, so fingers crossed. It's just a snoring. <laughs> I like that, though. I think that's sweet. It's not so bad. Um, I just want to just circle back really quickly, um, just before we end. Um, what you were saying a minute ago about loving the kind of the tapestry of working in teams, how do you kind of satisfy that love when you're uh, not doing your management consulting? So um, I'm really... Well, I was going to say I'm really blessed and I think it's commonly, I think I am, I'm blessed in a lot of ways, but I also think some of it is uh, self-fulfilling because I do do a lot of, and I have always done actually a lot of, um, I don't like the word, networking sounds a little bit transactional, like I'm, I'm having a conversation with you because there's something in it for me. That's not what it's about. I actually just really like human connection. So interestingly, I'm in the middle of trying to define answer the very question you started with i'm in the middle of saying you know, i've got this website nickdavis.com i'm in the middle of uh, saying to myself what is nickdavis.com what does it do because there are so many things that it could do i need to try and pull that all together and there were three the starting point for me there's three really important things uh, one is whatever it is has to bring me joy the second thing is whatever it is has to bring me balance. And the third thing is whatever it is, it has to bring me human connection. I don't want to rock up to a networking event with 50 people there and do speed networking, whatever it's got. I'm not interested in the slightest. No. I um, And I've just done lots of research and I think I just go out there a lot. I do a lot on social media with writing and I just... I just really proactively engage with people. And there are certain people I'm just very drawn to. Uh, I'll be drawn to the work they're doing, the things they're saying, or I'll have, you know, been introduced to them. I mean, you know, it is one of the things of, I don't know, 20, 27 years in consulting. So I guess I have a fairly large network of people I know anyway. And I, I really always try and keep in touch with people and chat and share ideas and reach out and that has led to just um, a whole series of really fantastic relationships, many of which are very, very, um, they don't just feed my soul, but they feed my creativity and they feed my mind as well. And one of the things I'm thinking long and hard about is how uh, there are a particularly, uh, there's a number of people in particular that re I really 
click with, really resonate with. And I'm thinking, you know, is there a new way that we can work with people in trust-based partnerships? I'm kind of thinking like a band of rebels. <laughs> I'm not quite sure how that's going to work out or what it's going to do, whether it's going to be a band of rebels in consulting or broader than that, I'm not sure. So I, I think that's how I've done it. I think that, you know, I've just naturally, I've just, I mean, social media is fantastic. You know, the advent of social media, being able to, um, you know, it's it's kind of replacing marketing, isn't it, from a business perspective, um, but also at a personal connect, uh, level. And particularly since COVID's come along, you know, so much, well, everything's online. And very often I'll just see stuff and I'll think, oh, yeah, that's a, you know, an online conference or an online this or an online that, that looks interesting. Well, if it looks interesting and it's caught my eye, it's caught my eye for a reason, I'll just go. And, you know, it might just be that, you know, one call I went on the other week, there were several people on there, I don't know, 50 or 60, but there were two people that I really clicked with and I will probably keep in touch with them and that will build and so forth. There's other stuff, um, you know, it's interesting, you know, talk about how diverse and random. Uh, the week after next, I'm doing my first day uh, training in tender loving care, which is end of life care. It's compassionate support for people who are basically dying because I think it is probably one of the most important uh, and perhaps underrepresented roles any of us can carry out is to help somebody, you know, uh, depart this, mm. this adventure before they embark on their next. It's something that we're all um, quite scared of death I know that when my own father died I felt very ill-equipped to support him as much as I wanted um, and that's really again just online there was just somebody that I saw um, soul midwife just really attracted me with her content her energy was very nice so I just reached out to her and just you know this was about 18 months two years ago just built a relationship over time and then this course came up the week after next I thought you know yeah it's time I'm interested I'm drawn to that I'm going to do it I don't know where it will take me but I'm drawn to it and I'm going to do it so that's quite a long answer isn't it sorry Katie all of my answers seem to be (laughs) no I think it's it's lovely (laughs) and they're they're full of really useful tidbits um and insights so don't apologize um so just to kind of round it off then Obviously, we've been talking a lot about the journey of finding yourself. Um, and on that on that note, do you have kind of one or two tidbits or pieces of advice or just things that have worked really well for you um, for pe- anybody listening that is kind of on that journey or starting that journey of finding themselves and, and what they can do to, I don't know, make it easier or move forwards (laughs) I say make it easier it's never easy I laugh when you say that because I actually think you know we all talk about growth um and the interesting thing I think about growth is growth isn't always that comfortable and that is part it's awful yeah it's it's not always that comfortable sitting with yourself is not always I'm not always the best company in the world um (laughs) but to, to answer your question I think that that is a big thing I have learned is sometimes I just have to sit in the discomfort. I just have to really sit with, with whatever it is. You know, if something's triggered me, if something's happened, I really have to sit with it because I think a big, and, and some of that is about creating the space to be able to sit with it. 
because just like in business, we do it in our personal lives because business is only ever an extension of who we are, really. It's just business is a group of people, you know, doing stuff, but we're all mm-hmm. people at the end of the day. So I saw it so many times and I suddenly realized, but I do this all the time on a personal level. You know, you create a solution to what you think is the perceived problem because you just want to know what the problem is here and now because you just want to solve it because it's hurting you and you don't want to suffer and you just want to solve it. And inevitably, you've probably put the wrong solution in place. You haven't cleaned the wound properly. There's a much bigger discussion here about... um, So I've got, yeah, I've got some theories around my own mental health and why I've had some reoccurring episodes. And I'm absolutely convinced it's to do with when you don't really find, if you don't really get into the wound, if you don't really clean it out and heal, it comes back, it comes back, it comes back. And I, I definitely have experience of that. So, but in order to do that, you have to have space. You have to sit with your discomfort. Sorry, I have to. I don't know what other people have to do. I can only share what I'm doing. In order, and over time, I think eventually the penny clicks and you go, ah, that's really what the root cause is. That's really what's going on here. Now I can start to, to, to adopt it. So, and that is a, that's a lifelong thing for me. The, the, the second thing, um, and again, it's a lifelong thing for me, is knowing, I love this saying that one of my friends has, which is about, you know, you, no, matter, no matter what, if you can accept that this is where you're meant to be for whatever reason, rather than fighting it, it's not that you're giving in. It's like the, the Taoism philosophy of flowing water. You know, water will flow. Sometimes it will, it will flow over bumps. It'll be very rough. You know, it'll be rapids. And sometimes it'll be really smooth, but it always flows, it always keeps going. And that's a little bit like, like, like life. Um, gosh, menopausal moment, Katie, I've just completely lost the thread of what I was saying. Uh, uh, well, I love that analogy. I absolutely love that. Um, I can't, and there was a really important point I was trying to make, which was the second point. So the first point was about creativity. Yeah, sorry, creating the space and actually sitting with the things that don't always feel very nice until you can really understand what's driving them. And, and that's really about getting honest with yourself. Don't always have to be honest. If you don't tell other people, that's fine, but you've got to be honest with yourself. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is, um, yeah, about, oh, that was it, yes. But if you can accept that you are where you are um, and look at it, it kind of changes your perspectives going, so, okay, what is it showing me? What do I have right here, right now? What can I do? Can't control it all. What do I do? Do I put my energy on the bits that I can't control or do I put my energy into this little chink, into this little chink? But that really means that you've got to believe in yourself. When I look at all, I mean, I look back and I look at some of the stuff I've done, I thought, oh my God, it's so, I'm so pleased I hadn't thought it so I'd never have done it. <laughs> but it, you know, but I, 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 I had faith in myself that I was doing the right thing. And I think if you create the space, you get to hear your instinct. And I know mm. that's why so many people are so, such big advocates of medica- um, medication. That's fraudulent slip. Meditation. <laughs> Both fraudulent slip, that, isn't it? Meditation. Because um, it is really about being able to listen to your instinct. And the final, final thing and no matter how difficult and you know I don't want this podcast to come over like everything is shiny sparkly all the time because it's not it's not for anybody you know that's just how it is life's life's peaks and peaks and troughs 
is you just have to take the next best step. Now, sometimes that next best step might be, you know, the analogy of stepping on the bloody moon. Sometimes it might be getting out of bed and making a cup of tea. Sometimes it might be not getting out of bed and somebody bringing you a cup of tea so you can stay in bed. All of that's okay. Just whatever the next best step is. Uh, absolutely God, really well that. not to, and I did really well from menopausal perspective to actually pull that back that's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's a step forward Katie Woo-hoo. well done well done <laughs> and it was and it's brilliant and I think those those kind of tidbits and and insights are really powerful really powerful um and I, I love the just take the next best step I think that's brilliant because I think a lot of people have the impression that they have to take a big step so they have to do something really big and it isn't about taking a big step you know moving forwards is moving forwards it doesn't have to be a huge step it it can be tiny steps in actual fact it's better to have lots and lots of really small te- steps but you consistently keep taking them mm-hmm. and again you know lots of things mirror and imitate you know it's, it runs in parallel the times so many times so many organizations so many things I see people putting off and not doing because it's just too big. It's just too big. And actually, if you keep taking those small steps, and it is the small changes, you know, that very often change the world. If you keep taking those small steps, one day you will look back and you'll be at the top of the mountain. And they always say, you know, when you're going up a mountain, don't look at the top, look at the step in front of you. And, you know, that is, that's, there's so many analogies, but that's another one that I hang on to. That's another one that I hang on to, too. And I love that. Thank you, Nick. Thank you ever so much for sharing that with us. Um, It's always fascinating talking to you. I absolutely love it. And uh, yeah, thanks for sharing with everybody listening. Oh, thanks so much, Katie. And I hope everybody's safe. Sending everybody lots of love. And thank you so much for having me. Thanks. And thank you to everybody for listening. And I will see you all on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Behind the Business podcast. Remember to like and share with anyone that might enjoy this. Let's create a community.